Hello, and welcome back to the Marvellous Cinema Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matthew, and... I'm Henry. <laughs> the other co-host. Yep, you are. As we welcome you in, we just wanted to uh, gently nudge you in the direction of our Instagram mm-hmm. and our Twitter. So you can follow us on Instagram at the Marvellous Cinema Podcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter at... Is it Cinema Marvellous, the twi- Twitter handle? Um, I think it is, yeah. I'll check that this now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's at Cinema Marvellous. Yeah. We are currently doing uh, every other day we're doing reviews of the MCU, if you'd like to check those out. Mm-hmm. Also, if you've come from Instagram or come from Twitter, hello. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome aboard. <laughs> yeah. We're talking uh, about movies. And this episode, you're joining us for franchise killing films. Yeah, it's going to be not, fun. Not franchise films involve a lot of killing. Yeah. <laughs> franchise films that kill franchises. Yeah. Like a franchise that was really popular, then it just made one really bad film and just went downhill. Uh, <laughs> happens a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get started then? We can do. Okay. Um, I don't know. I've got, I've got my notes. I've got a lot of box office numbers. Oh, okay. All the numbers. I've even got I've even got a tab on box office mojo at the ready. <laughs> just check the the statistics. Mm-hmm. Just so everyone knows all just yeah, all the statistics that I've got are from box office mojo, so you can check them yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe me. Right. Do you want to go first? Um I can do. Okay. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where to start. <laughs> Uh, maybe I should say before we begin is that with box office numbers it can sometimes be a bit difficult because obviously they're big numbers and you don't always know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. And sometimes if you hear films grow six hundred million dollars, you'd think that oh, sounds good. Yeah. In some of these cases, it's really not. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on what the budget is as well. Mm-hmm. It depends on the budget, and normally, traditionally, you double the budget. Yeah. To account for marketing. Yeah. A lot of money goes into this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes I get that. <laughs> the first one I'm going to go for is a bit of a box office bomb. Mm. I'm going to ease it in a little bit. I'm going to go with The Predator. Oh, okay. Okay. I heard not great things. This is released in 2018. Mm-hmm. Written and directed by Shane Black. Mm-hmm. It's a sequel to all the Predator films. All of them. Yep. Okay. Predator, Predator don't, don't mess about with their timeline. <laughs> well, you see what you get. So it had a, had a budget of $88 million, mm-hmm. which for a film like Predator is on the low side. Yeah. Um, and the worldwide gross was $160 million. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Which probably didn't break even. It grossed fifty-one million domestically, mm-hmm. which that is bad. Yeah, that's quite bad. Uh, I remember the trailers for this and it looking not at all interesting at all, <laughs> like to me. Um, it had it had a good cast. It had um, is it Brock Holbank? Is that his name? But no idea. <laughs> um, he's in Logan. He's the guy with the metal arm. Oh yeah, I remember him being in the trailers, thinking, "Oh, it's Logan guy." <laughs> yeah. Him, Olivia Munn's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, Key from uh, Keel and uh, P and Keel. Oh, okay. I can't remember the rest of his name. I heard um, there was some drama involved with um, Olivia Munn and uh, the cast, I think. Was there? I think so. I can't, I can't remember what it was. I really can't, but like it was something... I think the director was either like, not nice towards or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but... Yeah, there was definitely some drama going on. I can't. I didn't actually, actually like research what it was. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I've just searched it. I've had a little Google. <laughs> it's part of my new setup. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, this is an article from the BBC. It says Olivia Munn shunned by the Predator cast after leaving scene cut. After having scene cut. Oh, okay. Uh, so she feels lonely having to promote the Predator alone after she spoke out about filming a scene with a sex offender. Oh, okay. Is that um, Her co-stars have backed out of interviews after it emerged one of the cast was a sex offender, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Jesus Christ, what the hell? This, uh, this movie did not go well on any account. <laughs> no. The actress says she didn't know about Stephen Wilder's Stephen Wilder Striegel's conviction when she shot shot a scene with him. Oh, I had no idea about any of this. Have you seen the film? Um, I haven't seen it, no. Oh. Well, I, ha- I kind of have, but I kind of haven't. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, are you familiar with uh, a YouTube channel called uh, Dead Meat? Oh, do they like, do all the kills in movies? Yeah, okay. I watched that. Okay. <laughs> Which is essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, there is also another link in the written directed by Shane Black, and Shane Black was in the first Predator film. He was, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Um, so and everyone was buzzing. It didn't mm-hmm. go very well. No. Um, Shane Black's uh, pretty hit and miss, isn't he, sometimes? He like, is, yes. Whenever you hear like Shane Black's making a movie, if it's like a franchise movie, it's kind of like a dream come true, but it's often like 50-50 on whether it goes well. <laughs> um, Some of his songs are really good. Did, did, um, did he do Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? The what? Did he do Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Yes, yeah. That was a great movie. And then, is it The Nice Guys he did? Yeah, another great movie. Um, I think when he has like his own entire like, new story, it um, usually goes well. Um, so when you put him into a franchise, it goes kind of weird <laughs> in general. It also it has it's a lot of, lot of, there were a lot of problems with this one. People mm-hmm. picked out mainly people had a problem with the dialogue because mm-hmm. one of the it's about a bunch of convicts and they have to survive. Yeah. And one of them has Tourette's. Right. Okay. I think it's the I can't remember his name now. Another one I've forgotten his name of. The guy, is it Thomas Jane? Oh, the Punisher? Yes, yes, and uh, from The Mist. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, as well. Um, I can't remember if it's his character, but some of the characters have Tourette's, and it's used for comedic effects throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. What yeah. The, the main character, Logan guy, <laughs> yeah. his, his son is a, a, a dyslexic. Um, and they're basically treated like a superpower. A superpower? <laughs> what? Yeah. But the, 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 there's there's the predator mothership or something or the predator ship, and he has to 
he can read the alien language because he's dyslexic. Right. Um, that makes total sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. And as well, I think he's the one that summons the Predator. Summons the Predator? He activates some magic box. Oh, I thought you meant like through like a sacri- like sacrificial yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. He sacrifices the rabbit, pulls its head oh. from the The main villain dies in a comedically bad manner. Oh, so like a a good way or bad way? Do you mean this? Yeah, uh, bad way. This 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 is a spoiler (laughs) for the film. Uh (laughs) Um, It has still in K Brown. Yeah. An amazing actor. Yeah. Can't speak highly enough of him. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of the main villain, and he's a scientist. And you know how the Predator has a shoulder cannon? Yeah. Well, he rigs like a human shoulder cannon for himself. <laughs> okay. And he's using it throughout the thing. He's, you know, he's doing bits with it, shooting people. Life's good. Mm-hmm. Then, out of nowhere, <laughs> right, and it's literally not even a big deal. Yeah. It's literally a cutaway s- section. <laughs> a shot that might last about 10 seconds yeah uh, basically what he does is he turns his head right <laughs> and the cannon turns with it and the cannon blows his head off <laughs> and then well, it just cuts to the next the action's resumed nobody yeah. says anything <laughs> you're not even sure if it's him that's just done that and he's like the main villain. One of the main, yeah, yeah, he's the main villain. He's the main sort of, other wow. than the Predator, of course. That's amazing. <laughs> um, that's one of those cases where I feel like that's very, uh, that is very Shane Black sort of, like, um, comedy where, like, it usually, it's something you wouldn't usually see, but I don't think that works <laughs> the way you no. describe it, at least. <laughs> um, I was going to say, there's also a post-credit scene where there's a super-duper Predator suit I've seen this. I've seen this because I remember thinking, I don't think that's what Predator's about. <laughs> it has seemed very off to me that that was like the ending of a Predator movie that, ooh, the super Predator's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a super Predator in this one, but the super duper super Predator was coming afterwards. Uh, I see, I see, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it didn't go down well with audiences, mm-hmm. obviously, because it didn't even break even. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, sort of killed the Predator franchise off. Yeah, it'll come back in like 20 years' time, maybe. Mm, probably. Yeah. We'll, try. we'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to move on? Yeah, we can do. We've got them. Um, I'm kind of going to bunch like a bunch of moves together because they're part of the same franchise. But this same franchise keeps killing itself. It keeps on coming back. Um, and the thing is, it keeps killing itself and coming back really well and then killing itself again. Um. I want to talk about the X-Men films. <laughs> they just constantly... They start good, they get better, and then they shoot themselves in the foot real bad. Then they kill themselves, then they come back real good. Um, and I'm, I'm specifically pointing to these um, four movies in the franchise. Um, X-Men 3, X-Men Origins Wolverine, X-Men Apocalypse, and X-Men Dark Phoenix. These four movies, all in some way, sort of like kill the universe i don't mean like just being bad movies i mean like they fundamentally change universe to the point where you can't make more movies um 
But the thing is, X-Men, I don't know how they keep doing it, but they keep on coming back really well. Um, however, I think this last movie, The Dark Phoenix, has really just done it in because, like, Disney has, has bought Fox now, so that means they're not really going to get any more Fox X-Men movies. It's mm. going to be to you, which I'm very much looking forward to, but it's a shame that these movies never became their full potential in a way. Um, yeah, so... I, I also feel like they've they've shot Marvel in the foot in that they've done Dark Phoenix. Yeah, definitely. Done it badly. Yeah, twice. 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 So uh, we now have the point where Marvel, they can't really attempt it again. Yeah, they can't do it. No, because it's three times in like 10 years. <laughs> um, but I just, because I do want to, because a few people are very mean, mean towards the Fox X-Men movies. And I rewatched because I think one of them was on TV recently, and I rewatched X-Men 2. And I then from that went to go on to rewatch X-Men First Class and X-Men Days of Future Past. And no, especially Days, Days, yeah, Days of Future Past is incredible. Like they are, oh yeah, they are top tier like Marvel comic book movies, and I love them. Um, and the thing is, when you watch X Men: The Days of Future Past, it is incredibly clear that this should be the end. Um, it is an Avengers Endgame or Pirates of Caribbean three level threat and stakes and um, nostalgia, but also ending everything up. Um, it's odd that it wasn't, and it's it's um, it's interesting to hear that the behind the scenes of this was that they made X Men First Class, which is like a, re- a soft reboot where they explain the past but also introduce a new cast. Um, and from there, Matthew Vaughn, Vaughn wanted to do another X Men movie, X Men Apocalypse, where mm-hmm. it's just the same team, but now it's got Jean Grey and Cyclops, and we're gonna we're gonna form that team more like much uh, better um, and go forward. But instead, Fox were like, oh, we could also do this thing where we bring all the characters together and do a big, big movie about it all. And I was like, yeah, you can do that. But, like, do you not want to wait until you got all the characters in place? And they didn't. Um, so essentially what we got was X-Men 1, which is really a good movie. X-Men 2, a really great sequel. X-Men mm-hmm. 3 killed it. <laughs> X-Men Origins Wolverine really killed it, like, bad. Um, but then, like, they came back and had a really strong new reboot and instantly went... But now that we've made a good movie, let's make the best movie instantly. <laughs> um, and it sort of went really bad. And it's got to the point now where I'm so sick of how Fox treated these characters. And um, even though they would, every once in a while, let out these really great top tier like comic book movies, they were constantly ruining it to the point where I think if you ever rewatch the X Men series, this is how you should do it. You should watch X Men First Class, mm-hmm. X- skip out Orange Wolverine completely, just ignore it. Um, X Men 1. X-Men 2, sadly, I don't think you can skip X-Men 3 because it's too important to the next movie. Um, mm. So X-Men 1, 2, 3, then The Wolverine, and then watch um, Days of Future Past and Logan, and skip out X-Men um, Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, and Origins. Because, number one, it messes up the timeline so bad. It really, like... I mean, there's so many, like, weird, weird inconsistencies where, like, at one point... Xavier in the 90s is walking, but if you go back in time, he's not walking at all. Um, he looks like Pat- And again, Dark Phoenix, set in the 1990s. Ten years later, James McAvoy is meant to look like Patrick Stewart. <laughs> it makes no sense. I don't know why they didn't keep on making movies set in the 60s and 70s. Just keep on doing that. It was the height of X-Men popularity in comics, and it clearly works for you said it could be going for. Um, Keep it in that area, and they didn't. They kept on going forward ten years and ten years. It was weird. Um, 
So yeah, I think X-Men's a very bittersweet franchise of really great top-tier classic Marvel movies into like were intermediate with like movies that just fundamentally like ruined it. <laughs> like literally said to the audience, we're gonna kill Professor X, we're gonna kill this character, we're gonna take away Magneto's powers, but then be too scared to actually commit to that and change it at the end. So he's actually alive. We're not really going to explain it at all. And then Apocalypse, and then Doc Phoenix twice, but more of a bad. Um, <laughs> X-Men, weird franchise. I want to get off the bus because I think it's great, but also bad at sometimes. Um, and just yeah. fact, I want to like reiterate, reiterate like that's a great, fantastic movie. Um, I love it, um, and it's a shame that they kept on going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they should have ended it there, but no, they didn't want it to continue. Yeah, and they they also want to uh, blend in with the Fantastic Four as well. Yeah, they had plans, but they didn't do it because they were, they were too scared, I guess. <laughs> Which is surprising, really. Yeah, because <laughs> like Marvel are killing it with like a cinematic universe, of everyone you know being together. So you think they do a whole Sony thing of pulling everyone together instantly, but they didn't. Um, instead, they just made a really big X Men film, and then said, uh, "Dog Phoenix, we'll try that again." Oh no. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I always recommend that if you ever think that the X-Men films are not real Marvel and you don't want to watch them until the part of the MCU, go back and watch the really good ones, because yeah. those are yeah. they are like the Avengers before the Avengers, like a lot of characters are all well balanced and really good acting for this time and it has a end game level like ending to it as well in my opinion at least, like that did this passes that like level of great ending to me and it's a shame that like I said before, they keep on going. <laughs> yeah, it is. Also, there's the thing about the train in Dark Yeah. Films, where they yeah. they apparently filmed the final act and it was a, a battle in space or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but however, it was they said it was too similar to another film that had recently been released. Most people thought it was Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, so they made the brilliant decision of reshooting it and having it on a train. Yeah, it's a train, you know. <laughs> Just a it's, big old train. Yeah, because it kept on... X-Men after Days of Future Past was a really weird thing because they, I was I never watching it thinking, wow, they rebooted the timeline, anything can happen. They can do anything. And I want them to go ahead and just do whatever they want now. Um, and then because they made Apocalypse where it just... It was just so, like, meh. It was... None of the characters really grew that that much it was more concerned with destroying the world with apocalypse the character mm-hmm. and uh, it was one of the few times i looked at a superhero movie and thought to myself oh it's just like a destruction disaster movie um it's very rare that happens in the genre and i hate it because i hate that genre of movies oh, God, yeah yeah the poor old uh, the opera house cop for it again oh my god i never seen in the trailer seen the opera house getting destroyed and thinking i can't i don't want to see this again <laughs> <laughs> please <laughs> no um yeah but and then it x-men apocalypse isn't downright like in like incoherent it's not like a terrible one of the worst ones ever made thing it's more like just really bland and somehow went from being x-men somehow went from being the movie series about very hefty sort of themes that relate to politics and real life and went towards um egyptian gods that are going to destroy the world with their powers because (laughs) they might as well and then might as well. that's what it was he had no reason for it um, but then yeah then the dark phoenix came around and they got simon kimberg who was a producer not even a writer or director oh no he wasn't right he was a writer i think um 
but he came on board to do his first like feature length feature length um, directorial debut with Dark Phoenix, which you can definitely feel in that movie. It doesn't feel like a complete movie just yet. It's weird. Um, it's Simon Kinberg as well. People might criticize him for what he's done. He also he co-created Star Wars Rebels. He did, yeah, yeah. Which I found really interesting when when you see it come up on the credits for that show. Mm-hmm. And mostly what he's associated with is the Fox X Men films. Yeah, he's um he's a complicated sort of thing because you know, again like X Men is very complicated. Every once in a while they make great movies, then all of a sudden they just make a really bad one out of nowhere. Um, but then Dark Phoenix for me was such a weird movie because I ended up watching it thinking it's like it's like you're just doing the ending to a big franchise, but you decided to go out on a really dull note of just the characters aren't really going to change in this story um everyone's gonna nothing's really come coming to an end that you set up i think they they try to set up in doc in um, apocalypse but it didn't work there once again because there's too many things going on in the movie so it didn't really feel earned and again we've seen it before even though it wasn't very good we've seen it before um and if they just didn't done it in a weird way where because i've read the dark phoenix the dark phoenix comic book storyline because i was so interested in it and how much acclaim it got um and that's like that's a big book like that's a big like cosmic level mm. aliens involved going out in the world because a cosmic level threat and it's very interesting to see how someone deals with that amount of power and the the sort of dark side to pressure x that we rarely get to see and i think that dark phoenix does hint at those things but it, it attempts because the last movie was so big to go back to being really grounded and it feels like Gene Grey is like a ticking time bomb, but we never actually get to see it do anything that is really that terrifying, honestly. Um, mm. And I remember people coming out of the cinema when I saw that, and everyone's saying, it's incredible how Endgame came out the same year as this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they nailed that ending and made it feel like a complete, worthwhile, epic ending. And this felt like a, such a dull, wet slap of like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. weird. I've got the numbers in front of me. It had a budget of $200 million. Yeah. Worldwide box office, it made $252 million. Mm, so, mm, not good. <laughs> that's just, that's, it only just made its production budget. Yeah. Because you know I mean? they, they keep on, doing, I keep on going back to it because they keep on rebooting the franchise. With um, X Men First Class, and then once again, even with X Men Days, Days of Future Past, um, and keep, they even did it somewhat in Apocalypse by having uh, the Dark Phoenix come back again, but new new cast. Um, so every film is almost like a new reboot after X Men Three, in a sense. Um, yeah. It's it's honestly so odd because you know never in those films ever get a sense of continuity going through it that it's leading somewhere or that these characters are growing. To the point where at some point they're going to do something impactful or um even just like you don't yeah you don't really spend any time with the the kids in x-men apocalypse to the point where you don't ever get to connect to them so by the time they get to the dark phoenix where it's all about those kids you feel no connection because the movie expects you to just have those connections mm, um yeah. doesn't work <laughs> it's, so, it's just such a weird thing mm, where yeah it almost feels like a, sec- a second generation took over after <laughs> yeah. Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. But a second generation didn't take over. Yeah, it feels like the 
they took over, but in the sense that they either said, oh, this is a new paint job for whatever we want to do. <laughs> and, it's like, um, and it's like, as well, go after the first class, you watch first class and you think, yeah, this definitely feels like a prequel because that's what it was at that point. It's a prequel yeah. to the original yeah. X-Men films. Mm-hmm. And then you get to Days of Future Past where it messes with the timeline, timeline a bit and you think, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But then... Then you get to Apocalypse, and you think, <laughs> do they know this is a prequel? <laughs> it is are, they, are, they, are they aware Yeah. these people are supposed to turn into... Are they aware that this version of Scott Summers becomes James Marsden? Yeah, it's... Have they, have they forgotten? Or have we, have we just moved past it? Are we no longer bothered? Yeah, again, it's so confusing, because like, they, they say that um, they've they've kind of wiped the timeline at the end of the future past. Anything can happen, and then it's weird that they they keep on hinting towards a future where Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and James Marsden exist, but they don't ever I don't know lead towards it ever to the point where you're in the eighties and nineties. And again, I said it before, but like this is going to be Patrick Stewart in twenty years time, ten years time. I don't believe it. Like you just yeah. don't get a sense of any continuity between those later movies and I think it's better to skip them because of that essentially yeah um, and it, it's like because for them if, if it is the same the same timeline Gene mm-hmm. Grey go, goes on the Dark Phoenix bender twice yeah there, must yeah there must be several characters that by the time X3 arrived and was thinking oh god not again yeah <laughs> we've yeah. been through this already because at the end of Dark Phoenix she just she just pisses off into space. She does, yeah. As does in, she like, come back? She must come back if X-Men 1's supposed to happen. Yeah, that's meant to happen. We don't know, though. <laughs> Again, yeah, but, like, um, Dark Phoenix, um, the end of the cliffhanger, off, she's going to come back. And you're like, you, you know for a fact you're not coming back. Disney bought you. We all know this. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, as well, Dark, even in its own... Even if you take Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix on their own merits, and the scene of the two movies that are sequels to each other. Even then, there's inconsistencies that make no sense. Because, like, at the end of the Apocalypse, um, the Dark Phoenix, like, kind of comes out of um, Jean Grey at the end. It's kind of implied, once again, that it's inside of her as a natural power. Um, and then we get to the beginning of Dark Phoenix, where she goes to space, and then a cosmic flare goes into her and becomes Dark Phoenix. Right. Um, and it's meant to be this, this space power that is from an alien planet, and it's not the it's meant to be something disconnected towards Gene, but it's also connected to Gene because she has powers to deal with it. And then but in the last movie you said to us that it was her powers. It's confusing in two movies and once again, um in the last movie, Dark Phoenix, we get aliens and it's never mentioned. No one reacts. No <laughs> one, like aliens come down to Earth and fuck things up and no one ever goes. Aliens exist. <laughs> like never happens. It's it's odd. And also the villain in Dark Phoenix is so bad. So bad. And uh, she calls him like Sarah. I think it's I think, call- it's I think it's worse than that. I think it's Vuk. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's her name. Um she's played by Jessica Sa- ah, Jessica Chastain, who's a really great actress. Mm-hmm. But her villain in that movie is is nothing. I mean you can you can cut her out of that movie and it makes no difference. It really doesn't. And she takes up a lot of screen time. And it's just like a bland alien in a human body doing nothing for two hours um 
Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just let's remember the good ones, shall we? Yeah. I, yeah. If anything, I want to leave the note of. Go X-Men First Class, X-Men 1, 2, unfortunately 3, Wolverine, Days of Future Past, and Logan, and that's it. Just, there we just go. Do, just do that. We're happy, X-Men. We're good. We're happy. We've got, we've got the ones we like. All yeah. the with the world. <laughs> and we can move on knowing that, that the X-Men are in good hands. Yeah, let's see where they go. Do <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh. you want to move on? Okay, yeah, we can do. Okay. Um, where, where do we go next on this journey of train <laughs> crashes? Just the worst. <laughs> um, let's go for... Right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for the, the trilogy of failures. I'm going <laughs> to go for Terminator. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, although I've got all the numbers written down. Mm-hmm. So, we have three attempts at starting a new trilogy. <laughs> all I... of which resulted in one film. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, so, we started off with Salvation. That's right. So, let, let, let's go back to the time of salvation. All right. Yeah. It's the two thousands. Yeah. Um it's two thousands. Green Day are still popular. <laughs> um, and Salvation comes out. At this point, right, the the Terminated franchise is still on solid ground. Mm, yeah. Right. We've had Terminator we've had, had Terminator and Terminator two. Two of science fiction and action's greatest films. Yep. T2, one of the greatest sequels ever made. Absolutely. We have T3. <laughs> it's yeah, not... Yeah. It's, you know, it's not as good as the others. It exists. A bit of a backtrack. Yeah. There's no need to hit the panic button at this stage. All right, okay. <laughs> and we have, we have Terminator Salvation, all right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. planning stage... It's going to be set during the actual apocalypse, which, from my point of view, that's interesting. Yeah. Let's have a story. You've got Christian Bale. Even better. Yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> the film we got, that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good answer. Right. Even, even though, right, it's still always still not lost. Yeah. Okay, we've had... We've had Salvation. Mm-hmm. Didn't go well down very well. Not really. $200 million budget. $371 million worldwide box office. Mm, not the worst. Not, great, yeah. not the worst. You still made a loss. Yeah. But the franchise is not dead. Yeah. There's, it's, there's, it's there's still life in the old metal bones. <laughs> yeah. There's no need to panic. And then we... Re- <laughs> And then we reach, we reach what I can only screw the metaphor of literally getting all the world leaders in one room, <laughs> asking them to bring their nuclear buttons, knocking them all out with gas, <laughs> systematically running around the table, smashing all the nuclear buttons. <laughs> Oh. That is what Terminator Genesis is. It's uh, even the title is spelled wrong. Genesis. Genesis, yeah. Genesis. 
Oh man. Anyway, yeah. so that to be fair, this 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 does have a slightly better box office record than Salvation, right? Oh, does it? One hundred and fifty-five million dollar budget. It brought home four hundred and forty million. Right. Granted, <laughs> eighty-nine million at the domestic box office. Twenty mm-hmm. percent of the overall gross. That's not good. That's right? not great. <laughs> Everybody hated it. Um, yeah. That's not even an overstatement. Sometimes I never say everybody hated it because there's generally somebody who does not this film. Yeah. <laughs> everybody hated this one. This is the one that everyone goes, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Dark Fate came out. Yeah. The best Terminator 3 we've had. It's the best of this trilogy. Yeah. Um, $185 million budget. It Ooh. made $261 million. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Domestic $62 million, which isn't, isn't, isn't good at all. No. However, I don't think we should judge this film just by those numbers because ultimately Dark Fate will probably be seen as the film that killed the franchise. When yeah. in reality... That film is definitely Terminator Genesis. Absolutely, yeah. I feel like if Terminator 1 and 2 came out and then Terminator Dark Fate came out, it would have been like a, this is good, this is not as great, but I hope from here we can do better. Mm. Uh, but it had three attempts before that to be good and it didn't do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So people were exhausted and didn't have any interest at that point. No, they didn't. Dark Fate had to be... In order to have a better box office return and to beat the Terminator fatigue, Dark Fate had to be something special. It had to be yeah. better. It had to be as good as Terminator 2. Yeah. At the very least, like a Force Awakens, you know? Yeah. And but it was unlikely that was going to happen. So what is, what is actually a, a solid film? Mm-hmm. Where there, you know, there's growth, there's good humour, yeah. For the most part. A good story. It tries to do something. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it will be slightly marred. Yeah. Um, I think I think that film, um, compared to Genesis and Salvation, kind of it lowers the bar to a, a reasonable height of we can probably make a good film out of this. Whereas Salvation and especially Genesis, which is a, a mess of just ideas like shock into the wall. Um, um, it goes too far of like let's change Terminator into a time travel franchise where it's all about time travel and the app on your phone is going to kill you at some point point. Um, and I think Dark Fate went back to basics a bit and made a pretty solid movie but it wasn't it just wasn't enough at all Yeah, mm, no it wasn't mm-hmm. which, is, which is sad really yeah because I I think Tim Miller and James Cameron had a good like relationship going there and like they had good ideas going forward but I, we'll never see it I, I don't think we'll ever see that coming ever no, likely. <laughs> yeah yeah once again in 20 years time there'll be another one. <laughs> oh yeah there will be <laughs> Absolutely. definitely because like people by that point will be like oh yeah they were good at one point maybe we should make another one <laughs> and then the audience will be there mm-hmm. mm. yeah <laughs> that's yeah that's what happened yeah, um, we kind of um, mentioned it there, kind of, but I kind of want to talk about um, the, the prequels um, because, yeah, um, 
I don't think they were box office wise a disaster. They were still like Star Wars level movies. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I can do. I can. I can. I can even look it up. You know, I've got. I've got it right here. Oh, professional. The whole box office records. Mm-hmm. Right, right. They're, they're a finger, finger touch away. That's not the right wording. Fingertips. Fingertip. Um. So yeah, Phantom Menace cost a billion. Did it? Hmm. It cost a billion to make. No, no, no. It crossed. Oh, okay, right. It that cost a billion. That would have been insane. <laughs> it cost 115 million. Right. So that was a big. That was a big. Mm. For 1999 yeah. as well, but also it cost yeah. a billion in 1999. Mm. Which is a big thing. Mm-hmm. What, what are the Attack of the Clones? Attack of the Clones was six hundred thousand. Right. Return. It was the same budget. Oh, okay. Okay. And then Revenge of the Sith was uh, eighteen hundred and sixty-eight return. Right. So still got, got a bit lower, but higher. But <laughs> yeah, because people. Yeah. Had cause I think that's how Star Wars in general has worked recently. Um, even the original trilogy, people the first one I think still made the most money. Um, a new hope, I think. Um, um, similar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. similar to each, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the same new trilogy, um, Force Awakens made the most money, and then each one made it slightly less. Um, again, money has something to do with quality. Um, the, I, in my opinion, the last Jedi is, is the best one out of that new trilogy. It made less money than Force Awakens. Doesn't mean it was a worse film. Um, mm. This means the audience interest might have been a bit thinned. Um, yeah, I think but, yeah, box office numbers are very useful in some respects, but you can't use them as gospel. They're not a, a consistent and reliable indicator of quality. Yeah, like, there's another franchise on here that has two films that cross a billion, and I'd quite happily, quite happily put them all in the bin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, if we were living by the idea that box office means your is good, then Avatar would have been objectively the best movie for a good 10 years. Um, which, I like that film, but, like, it's not the best movie ever made, and it's mm. just because it had a lot of money. Um, but, yeah, I feel like people often forget just how, like, dead the prequels made Star Wars for a good 10 mm. years. Because um, it wasn't... I was like, even me, a person who had no idea what Star Wars really was, I knew that it was Darth Vader, I knew that at some point Luke didn't kill his father, maybe, I knew that at some point there was a film about a little kid version of Darth Vader, that's all I really knew. Um, and I knew, but even when I got like to the age of like 10, 11, I haven't seen the films yet at all, really. Um, when I got to that age, I remember having my first internet sort of experience, and realised it was almost instant. Whenever you, whenever you type in anything Star Wars later, it would always be two-hour video to, like, a ten-page document on how bad the prequels are. And it was it was almost like an infamous legend how bad they were. And it was honestly almost like a disappointment how, when I watched it, I was like, this isn't terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, they're not good, but, like, they're not, like, that bad. Um, but I want to, like, kind of go back to that, looking back at that time period before Disney came and brought Star Wars back in a really big way. Even if you don't agree with their movies now, the, uh, Star Wars is more alive than it's ever really been, in my opinion. It is, um, yeah. There's more life in it, there's more money behind it. Yeah. A new uh, generation of people are engaged with it. Yeah, in a way that... Because like, Star Wars is very weird to me. And same thing with Indiana Jones, in the sense that they made really a really great trilogy that's going to be an all-time classic. Everyone, everyone 
generally speaking, adores it. Um, and then for like 20 years, they just made nothing. No TV shows, no movies. There were books that were kind of like canon, but didn't, they were never like the gospel for like, we're going to do this in the future or we're going to do this in, this in the past. It was more like a, yeah, these people can come together and write stories, but it doesn't, George Lucas at any point can come in and say, nah, I'm not doing that. Um, so for like 20 years, we had Indiana Jones and Star Wars just being this perfect trilogy to like be in everyone's minds that it's just perfect, untouchable, the trilogy of all trilogies. And then cut to 1999, where we're going to get the new prequel trilogy that everyone's always dreamed about since 1977 even. Um, it's amazing how the hype of that movie was like it's downfall in a lot of ways because no movie could, could have been that good. Um, I remember seeing an interview with John Favreau about Iron, Iron Man and how like he just said offhand he just kind of said at one point that I really like the Iron, Iron Man movie it's a great movie but it's probably because well, he's making Iron Man 2 at this point he's thinking that he's saying that it's, Iron Man's probably not only a good movie for people but also much better in their heads as a memory than um, anything else so when you go into a sequel the 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 stakes are raised way high because um, it's, it's the previous movie that you've loved it's an idea in your mind of how much you love it so you're comparing it to this ideal and then uh, the prequels came out and they were not that ideal um and they have a lot of problems absolutely i'm not going to like say they're great movies but they were overly hated to the point where it was like a it was like a part of pop culture how much they were this objectively bad movies um which in some in some cases, yeah, they have bad elements, but I think people often forget how dead, like dead, dead Star Wars was at this point. I can't remember how many times, can't count the amount of times I've seen a video in that 2010, 2015 period of people saying Star Wars is dead to me, and I never, I never going to see another one ever again because those three movies ruined the entire thing for me. Um, and I, I think people are, are now complaining about these new movies that are getting new people interested in Star Wars and. In some, hopefully, in some, a lot of ways, um, helping the old people, the old like diehard fans who do clap the original trilogy, like like this new version as well. Um, I think people are saying Star Wars is dead now because Disney have ruined it, or not realizing that Star Wars is more alive than it's probably ever been. It's mm. been this is the most alive it's ever been since the trilogy came out, and it was that 1977 to 1983 time period. Um, yeah, yeah, I think a lot a lot of people with the saying that Star Wars is dead. Which is a very hypocritical thing to say, considering the most of the time these say the same people that say that are also praising Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. And even even isolating the films away from it, mm-hmm. the sequel trilogy. If you look at what Star Wars has done, you've got the Mandalorian in sort of the time period between. Because it's the Clone Wars TV show started under Lucas. It started when Disney didn't have Star Wars. Yeah, and it's continued and finished when they did. And mm-hmm. Rebels, which was definitely during Disney, I think. Yeah, I think that was when it started. Um, you have those two TV shows and Mandalorian, which mm-hmm. are pretty much highly highly praised, aren't they? Yeah, they're like acclaimed. Um things that you can't ignore in Star Wars. They are, like, a part of the law now in a way that you can't ignore them. They are great Star Wars media. Um, mm. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's it's very strange. And also, 
you also have this weird thing now where people are people are looking back at the prequels with a degree of fondness. Mm-hmm. Particularly younger generations of Star Wars fans. Yeah. Which I think will definitely happen in oh, ten years' time looking at the sequels. Yeah. People will, Yeah. We're probably at the top end of that age generation, aren't we? Really? Yeah. We're like the tip of the either iceberg there. But sort of people younger than us mm-hmm. you know, they're gonna they're gonna grow up. They they are the prequels for them. Yeah, definitely. Because if you look online now, mm-hmm. um, if you look at people sort of our age, maybe even just older than us. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who, on fan sites or on, uh, particularly on sort of like you know like fan accounts on Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah, there are a lot of them that say that they think the best Star Wars film is Revenge of the Sith. That's a really like a really popular opinion now. That's it is. Thing. It's yeah. very popular. But then you also have people who I have seen who think that Revenge of the Sith is the worst Star Wars film. Yeah. Now that that's not as that's a fairly unpopular opinion, I imagine. But there are a lot of people now who, yeah. you know, they treat they treat Avenger the Sith like it's the Bible. Yeah. But like in the same way that people um, back in nineteen eighty whatever would treat Empire Strikes Back. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was the Bible. That was the great the pinnacle of Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back and. Even even people that love the original trilogy, they'll they'll probably if they hate all the new ones, they'll probably say the first two films are classics. Ever since then, it's been a downhill slope. Um, and whilst I personally don't agree with that at all, um, there are definitely people there that would say that there was this one great film, and then anything since that was just a pale imitation of it because it wasn't my idea of what Star Wars is from that one movie. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, having no, I don't really have a childhood connection with Star Wars whatsoever. I only got interested in Star Wars because that first trailer for Force Awakens happened, and I realized how hyped everyone was. Um, and I still haven't had that. Fe- I have to have. I haven't had that level of hype feeling ever since. Like Endgame, I was very excited for, but I never had that level of commute, like communal. December is when Star Wars happens again, and it's going to be phenomenal because it looked phenomenal, and it, in my opinion, it was. It had some problems. I don't agree with some of the Starkiller base things and too much nostalgia every once in a while, but I love that film. Uh, and again, yeah, there are, if you go back and watch Empire Strikes Back, a great movie, one of my favorite films of all time. I have no connection, no nostalgic connection to that film whatsoever. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is almost perfect. Again, it's probably better in my mind as an idea. And there have been great Star Wars films since then that have not been Empire Strikes Back. Um, and I think... A lot of people were disappointed in, especially The Last Jedi, of being a movie that wasn't Empire Strikes Back with a new with a new core of paint. I think people wanted that, um, mm. and they didn't get that because Star Wars it has this weird thing of we had a great trilogy, it came back, and no one liked the trilogy because it was new and it was different. And I think the most important thing to get from that was the feeling of Star Wars was gone. It wasn't a rough tactile. Um, human um relatable world it was more like a pristine the jedi were a church um there was politics going on it was wasn't the feeling of star wars is kind of gone and then when they came back and brought it back to the force awakens and neutralism the feeling came back and i feel mm. like the feeling coming back was to some people a call to the idea that 
we're gonna have a new trilogy where Luke Skywalker is gonna be the coolest guy in the fucking world, <laughs> and he's gonna be everything I ever dreamed of, and they're gonna do everything I ever wanted for the past four years of my life. No matter what storytelling as a as a medium um, requires, which is challenge the characters, take them to the darkest level they ever went to, and show them at the best, show them at the worst. And it it makes no sense from a story perspective to have Luke Skywalker come back and just be the perfect guy and all, all that that everyone wanted. Same with Ray or um, Paul or Finn or Han Solo. I think people wanted just to see Han, Luke, Leia in the Millennium Falcon doing some cool things with three movies straight. Um, and yeah, I think I think just having a clear perspective on the fact that your idea of movie isn't what every movie have, that has to be, <laughs> in a way. Mm. Um, and I think Star Wars is a great example of, yeah, the story to you ended in 1983. To other people, it ended in 2005. To me, it's still going. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I never, some people said, I never, when Force Awakens came out, people were like, someone in, kind of, who were in my school, I had a conversation about it, and they were like, well, the story of Star Wars is Darth Vader, and Darth Vader was explained in the prequel, and he died in, in Return of Jedi. Therefore, anything outside as a spin-off and not a real episode, um, which to me, I totally disagree with. The story to me is about these people, like rough tactile people that are, like relatable and they're going through these changes and they're living life in this amazing galaxy that's sometimes the worst place to be and sometimes the best place to be. There's light, there's dark, there's grey. To me, it's all Star Wars. It doesn't matter if Anakin's there or not. He's definitely an important component to it, definitely. But it, it, Star Wars doesn't require Darth Vader to, to be Star Wars. Um, no, it doesn't. To, to someone else, though, that was the only thing that mattered. Um, to me, not really. And to other people, different things. Uh, yeah, prequels, eh? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Stay onto the prequels again, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> Keep gravitating towards them. Well, it's just like a 10-year weird time capsule of everyone hating Star Wars and then everyone hating the new Star Wars, therefore going back to loving prequels. <laughs> it's just a <laughs> weird dynamic. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we need to do, we need to do something like a, a specific Star Wars dedicated episode. Maybe, yeah, at some it's point. Let's do with something. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. There is. Yeah. Definitely. Do you want to uh, Yeah, I can do. Um, oh, right, here we go. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to talk about it. Oh, okay. What, what is this? <laughs> I'm over-exaggerating. It's fine. Uh, Transformers franchise. Oh, I had this down too. <laughs> so... I mean, I'd like to think that it's dead. It's on the way up. <laughs> um, so, the franchise I referred to earlier when I said that there are two films that cross a billion and I'd quite happily put in the bin mm-hmm. is is Transformers. Yeah. Um, so, Michael Bay's Transformers, there are five of them. Jesus, there aren't. <laughs> There's Transformers, there's Revenge of the Fallen, Dark of the Moon, Age of Extinction, and The Last Night. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have Bumblebee, which is actually a good film. Yeah, solid movie. It's, it's one that I one that I like. Uh-huh. Um, the first Transformers film, hundred million dollar budget, one hundred sorry, hundred and fifty million dollar budget. Yeah. Seven hundred and nine million. Right. Wow. Okay. Right. So that's. For franchise opener, that's, that's that's good. That's great. That's the kind of box office return that makes studio execs go, hmm, 
<laughs> yeah. Maybe we can milk this. Yeah, for like ten years. Um, see, and also a key statistic you know, that I have to look at here is that it domestically. So when I say domestic, I mean US based. Mm-hmm. In the US, it grows three hundred nineteen million, which is forty five percent. Right now, that that percentage is probably a key indicator. Yeah, definitely. This of of how it, how how it will go. Mm-hmm. Now, events mm-hmm. have fallen on a two hundred million dollar budget, reached uh, eight hundred and thirty six million. Yeah, uh, a slight percentage increase for domestic. This. <laughs> um, Darker the moon. 195 million dollar budget. It it grossed over a billion. Yeah, it grossed over 1.1 billion. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. But the percentage of domesticness came down to 31 percent. Right. Age of extinction. Uh, roughly the same budget. Roughly the same. Uh, worldwide income. Yeah. It's over a billion, but that's down to 22 percent domestically. Yeah, and now Transformers last night, two hundred and seventeen million dollar budget, the second highest of the franchise. Wow. Okay. Actually, no, no, the highest of the franchise. Is it the last one? Is mm-hmm, the highest of the franchise. Jesus. And it's also grossed the least of the Bay films. Oh, okay. Six hundred and five million. Is that why they rebooted it in a way? Only one hundred and thirty million domestically, which is twenty one percent. Right. Okay. Bumblebee didn't actually do too well domestic um, in terms of overall. Yeah, annoyingly, yeah. Um, but so the last, but the last, bringing it back to last night, I feel like this has sort of killed it. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Because among among people that oh, how do I word this among <laughs> critics? Yeah. These films are probably the bane of their existence. Yeah, easily. And I feel like, for the most part, films like the Transformers films, I'm going to say beyond the first one, because the first one has has some qualities to it. Yeah. It could have been better going forward from that movie. Yeah. But I think the sequel to Transformers represent why it's so hard mm-hmm. sometimes to convince people that stuff like the Marvel Universe and Star Wars and other things like that are good, meaningful films. Yeah, it's... Because it's these mixed. big <laughs> metal bots killing each other in CGI fests. Yeah. <laughs> they are... They're ultimately what people like Martin Scorsese see. Yeah, the... the, the, the what was it? The, um, the theme park ride. Yeah. Hmm. And while I, I certainly, cause I know people that do enjoy these. Mm, yeah. And clearly the fact that two of the latter films crossing a billion, <laughs> it does indicate that people have seen them. There is an audience somewhere. Watching. Yeah. While I'm definitely not one of them, <laughs> I'm not going to begrudge people for going to see them. Yeah. But I do think that in terms of, of cinema as a, as a wider culture, when people try to make put, put more meaning into films that use CGI, mm-hmm. it kind of overshadows them a little bit. And we are starting to get away from that, I feel. 
Yeah. I do feel that we are reaching a point again where people aren't off-put by a lot of CGI. Mm-hmm. But how <sighs> franchise going for as long as it has? Yeah, it's. I think it's a, a great um, a proof that to the studio, if your money, if your movie is making a lot of money, it really doesn't get. They don't care about how much is not being loved by critics or audiences. Mm. Uh, because I think I think a major part of why the Transformers movies make a lot of money is the fact that they they um, market a lot of foreign the foreign audiences and and a lot of their humor, I guess you could call it, is. Is very physical in that there's a lot of robots just being idiots and a lot of physical humor and sound with wiki running around screaming at his parents and wacky hijinks that are very visual and not there's you don't really know anything about you don't you don't have to understand um sound but sound with wiki or the other characters <laughs> after that um to understand the movie and understand what's going on yeah but you get from visually alone that there's a cube it's important there's, there's robots, they're fighting, do it. <laughs> and that translates well to foreign audiences that don't connect with the movies that are from like America or UK in that sense. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of these, you know, if you're looking at some of the ones that have maybe 20% of their box office being domestic, yeah, you know, they are getting just shy of a billion dollars from the international box office. Mm. So obviously China is a big, the big uh, foreign market for US films. Mm. Um, Australia. I'm gonna stop there before I start rounding with listing countries. <laughs> but um, yeah, there. It has general appeal. Yeah, it's not. There's not necessarily a specific culture that is attached to a, a big hulking robot. Yeah, definitely. And um, they they market those films really well. And I don't just mean trailers and posters. I mean, they literally set the fourth and fifth movies in China and the UK. They, um, in the third movie, they, there's like, I mean, in all of them, especially the fourth one, there's a lot of product placement. Um, so it's essentially, it's a, it's a film franchise built on we, it makes money across the world, therefore let's just get all the money from this so that we can go forward and make other movies. It is it's a transfer market to go crazy and have fun of it um for three hours. For God's sake, why three hours? Um <laughs> and it's it's um yeah, every decision is like a business decision. It isn't a story decision. There's in the especially the second, third, fourth, fifth one, there is just no character development or we don't learn anything about Sam or Michaela Baines or um, all the other characters coming to play in the fourth and fifth movies. And there's, it has it has barely a structure to them. Like the second movie has, yeah, I mean, every film has a, has a MacGuffin. Like, and the MacGuffin is the most important thing in, in the world. And stories can work through using MacGuffins as an external way to get all the characters into conflict. It does work. Star Wars, the first movie, MacGuffin, get the Death Star plans. That's the, that's the thing. But... Mm-hmm. These in these movies, that MacGuffin, that external plot device, never brings characters into conflict with each other and makes them grow. It's just a reason to have a chase uh, to get something to MacGuffin to go crazy and just have fun with a big ending that lasts for an hour straight. Um, mm-hmm. And each time they introduce a new element that 
And also, Michael Bay movies, no matter how bad they are, they make great trailers because the trailers are just the best shots from a Michael Bay movie, which is, which are always great. Like Michael Bay, you can hate him all you want, and I do a lot in a lot of ways, but he is a visual filmmaker and he is great at making every shot be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in the world. However, the problem with that is when every every shot you have is the most beautiful thing ever. It's a it's a robot and there's perfect CGI and it's it's set against a backlight sun and it's beautiful and every shot is like look like it spent like ten hours trying to make it. The problem that comes with that is it's the um the what do you call them syndrome from an Incredibles problem. If we're all super, no one is because all the same. Um, so every shot just kind of blends together at some point in those movies where the point where every shot, yeah, it's a robot doing something. Yeah, it's it's a child both getting out of a car in a low angle and the sun's gleaming and all this. And it's it's um it's a tiring franchise because at all times it's always to the top notch of visual spectacle, even mm. if it's just like someone getting out of a car. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's always it's always going to decline unless you shake it up. Yeah, and they don't. Um, and that's 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 something that longer lasting franchises like like Star Wars and like Marvel have been able to do. Yeah, is that there's there's something different about each of them. Even eventually. even like James Bond, a franchise that I for the most part don't really like. Um, every once in a while, they do freshen up a lot. Like Roger, um, Roger Moore comes in, and all of a sudden the movies go from being quite a serious action spectacle to a kind of a comical one, where it's mostly like tongue tongue uh, tongue and cheek humor. And then we go back to Daniel Craig, and it's more like a dark character study in a lot of ways. Um, so every once in a while, that that franchise um, revigorates itself with a new tone, a new aesthetic, a new character, even. Um, whereas um, Transformers. The third movie is the ending of the Shia LaBeouf trilogy, I guess. And then the going forward, we have the, the um, what do you call them? Matt Wahlberg. Matt Wahlberg. Um, we have those characters. But the thing is, the difference between Mark Wahlberg and Shia LaBeouf is nothing. There is no difference. They're this idiot characters running about screaming from robots. There's no difference between them at all, really. They're this, there's a new aesthetic. I mean, one's older than a father, one's younger, and he's trying to trying to get a job, but it doesn't really matter. It's not like a character problem. There's no growth. There's no conflict. It's just, uh, you, you got to get the MacGuffin and you got to run about Hong Kong this time. And this time, oh, you're going to England to do it. It's just a different setting with different robots and the longer ending of CGI spectacle. Um, and I do think I would love to see Michael Bay just stop making those films and just do something different. Because I do think Michael Bay... For all his flaws as a storyteller, as a visual filmmaker, and even a sound design and a sound and a music guy, he is phenomenal. He's he's a he's an incredibly like gifted um um man at just making everything the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. However, behind that he's got a mind of a fifteen year old child. <laughs> <laughs> he loves he loves hot chicks and fast cars and explosions and <laughs> idiots running about. I don't know why, but he's behind all that, he does have just that sort of primal base level sort of level of um storytelling care towards his characters opera's crime in that movie um especially the second third fourth fifth. the first one you kind of get that he's a noble hero from then onward he's a murdering psychopath and not he because actually, of... isn't he yeah. he just slaughters people yeah. of the ro- or slaughters of the robots yeah, and those films all the time have him, from the script level, saying really inspiring speeches about life and 
courage and all this stuff, but you but you cross that with how Michael Bay presents him through action sequences and all his shots, and it's it's a madman. It's a, it's a madman that has no compassion whatsoever. But at the end of the day, because the script says so, he says something like "proof, honor, and whatever." That's the way to do life. And then we let him kill ten people point blank and just say because even <laughs> there's a few. I think there's a few lines in a. The fourth, and fifth, the fourth and fifth movies uh, specifically ways. He just says like, "I'll kill you." <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a lunatic. He is, and it's and again, um, the first movie has some strengths there because the script isn't terrible. Um, and I think I think we've all heard this criticism at one point, but uh, Michael, not Michael, um, Megan Fox's character is actually like a pretty well written character. She has a backstory. She has a a, a trauma in her past. Her father is not a great guy, and it sort of defines her life. Um, however, you cross that with how Michael Bay presents her, and it's completely just <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> She's not a character to Michael Bay. She's an object to be looked at by the camera. Um, mm. And it's horrible that that is where the, tra- the Transformers franchise kept on going towards, just an object for everyone to look at, whether it be a hot chick or a robot. <laughs> all the same with Prime ripping some other robot's head off. Yeah, happens a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a sad franchise. I hopefully it gets better because it is going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Bumblebee, because the film has a lot of character in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, it spends a lot of time with, I can't remember her name, um, Hayley Steinfeld's character. Yeah. It spends a lot of time with her building up her world and presenting her as a likable character, a more likable character than any of the other Transformers films have really had. Easily, yeah. <laughs> and also having the incredible ability to not sexualise a female character. Amazing. First time. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken you off for six films, but you finally made it. Yeah. There's even a sweet, like, sweet little romance in that film that's actually like cute and sincere. Mm. Um, yeah, there is. First time. <laughs> Uh, Optimus Prime as well. You seem like a good guy. You're a good leader. <laughs> Bumblebee, real character, got an arc and everything. Yeah. Um, I hope they make more movies that are good now because they deserve it. Those characters do deserve it. They don't There's have it. Potential with the Transformers films. Yeah, they could well, be like. You also they, have the opportunity to make a Transformers film that is actually accurate to the original stuff because most make a Michael Bay stuff, it's just <laughs> random Transformers names associated with random robots. Yeah, and they're, and I'm not saying that you have to follow the toy design, the cartoon design to make it a good movie, but Doors' design, for the most part, are very confusing, um, especially the Decepticons, which are just metal, just, like, clumped together. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah, I mean, know how to, like, I couldn't draw it. Yeah. I think that one of the best action sequences out of the entirety of the Transformers sequence is the start of Bumblebee. Yeah, easily. Because they all look different. There's a yeah. bit of colour in there. Optimus Prime, by the way, in that in the opening and the little bits for Optimus Prime in that film, he mm-hmm. looks great. Looks fantastic, yeah. Um, and because um, um, those character designs are like not just oh it's the cartoon again, but like it, you can clearly see where his arms are and where his legs start and where his. <laughs> you go back to the previous one and you're kind of like, where does his head start? Because you don't really know. It's so confusing towards designs because you think that as a toy manufacturer or a design artist, you'll go, okay, this moves are going to be 
full of CGI action of robots hitting each other. Surely we should make it very clear how this robot works and how the arm is this very defined blue block. It should be like, these characters should be like kind of like blocky. They should be like triangles put together or like <laughs> rectangles put together. But instead, like, they're just like metal sticks put together in like random order. <laughs> and, and they make it, it just, it, as the movies go on, it gets more confusing because it gets more and more people in one frame and you can't discern from me- grey metal Decepticon and grey metal with a bit of blue Optimus Prime. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. As well, as well as a kid, I'm thinking that Optimus Prime and Bumblebee mm-hmm. were probably the only two that I actually knew the names of. Oh, same, yeah. Because Megatron, as well, because oh. it's... Um, in the first one, there's Starscream, isn't there? Yeah. Starscream. And there's another helicopter one, isn't there? <laughs> there is. I, didn't know, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell the difference. No, I couldn't either. It's, and again, it's, it's one of those... I think the X-Men kind of did it as well in those movies, where they kind of just put in different characters for no reason. There's kind of in the background is doing something. Um, and again, none of the characters, especially the robots, are characters. They're not. They're just things that exist and every once in a while say a line and their personality and every, every single one of them has the same personality by the way they're all just children <laughs> they're idiot children that are constantly having fights with each other even though they're on, they're fighting a war but like they're idiots i don't understand i never it's weird <laughs> yeah. shall we do should we do one more and then wrap it up uh yeah is it my turn or your turn i think it's your turn oh okay um Okay, so I want to talk about Sony. <laughs> oh, and, no. Yeah, and their general franchise just murdering, specifically our Spider-Man. Um, mm-hmm. also, also, I know we, we give like, Sony a lot of flap, but one of the most confusing things for Sony is that you have these the handling of the Spider-Man films, which we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. But then you also have the video game department. Yeah. Which... Bang out arguably some of the best video games. Oh yeah, easily. Of the last I don't know, twenty, ten, twenty years. Yeah, easily. And then you have Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll let you carry on there. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so the first instance of them being terrible at their jobs was um Spider Man three, which was the sequel to Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 1, where Sam Raimi got a lot of um, a, fr- a lot of freedom to do whatever he wanted, essentially. It was very little studio interfe- interference. Um, and all of a sudden, Spider-Man, I don't know what, I don't know what happened, but in Spider-Man 3, like, Sony just went, we need to do anything in one movie. <laughs> um, and I say a lot, but I don't hate this movie. I think it's still a Sam Raimi movie, first and foremost, and I think that he handles those elements better than most people would. But you shouldn't have to handle those, those elements. You shouldn't have to have to deal with these studio demands of put a whole new Venom character into it, which when you put Venom into the movie, it's not like, oh, another villain you got to set up. It's more like you got you got to introduce the symbiote and then the Black Suit, Black Suit Spider-Man, then resolve that, then set up Eddie, and then put it onto him, and then make him a villain, and then resolve that. It comes with a lot of material that you don't otherwise have. Um... And if we're going to do Venom, Venom should be his own film. I don't mean, I don't mean the Venom film we got. Mm. I mean like a proper Venom film with Spider-Man and Venom and just those two. Yeah, even like 
um, Spider-Man where he has a black suit and he loses it at the end, and then next door, just that is good. Like good, <laughs> that's enough time to do that. But um, having to wrap up Harry Osborn's character arc and he, um, Raimi always wanted to do Sandman, his passion to do Sandman, so therefore he couldn't let that go. So it was Sandman, Harry Osborn, and then Venom. And then on top of that, you want to tell a story about how pride can, um, pride and ego can kind of be self-destructive. So you have to add that or that into it, and it's just a lot of moving parts that I think because he's such a good director and writer and storyteller that he just barely gets away with it. Um, I think the third act of that movie is Sam Raimi Spider-Man Two Spider-Man One magic is great, but before that, there's a lot of just you can feel the mechanical cogs behind the machine trying to make it work you can feel it um like for a great example is harry osborne has um amnesia for a good half of that movie why mostly because he's too many villains to have at one time and you have to explain where he is this entire time when he's fighting venom and sandman um mm-hmm. and it's very hard to do that without feeling dishonest to your audience and it does come across this dishonest all of a sudden amnesia why <laughs> come back now half an hour time he's fine again um and for the most part, I appreciate that movie a lot because I think it gets a lot right. And I think as an ending, it works really well. I wish it was, I wish it was much better, don't get me wrong. But I think it's a strong, I think it's a strong, flawed ending. But it is Sony's fault completely. Jump forward <laughs> to Spider-Man 4. I'm going to talk about that for like two seconds. They were going to make a movie that was going to be Sam Raimi, top tier. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on high note. Sony wants to do all this like, bullshit again of more characters, more this, more that. And then Sam Raimi just goes, I can't do this. I'm going to, I'm going to just leave my, my head hung high and not make into a terrible film. So he did that. And then they said, oh, yeah, we can just do a reboot. And how, how many years would it take to do this reboot? Two years. So that means when they were making Spider-Man 4, they definitely had a plan to do a reboot. Because I think it was about four months after they officially fired um, Sam Raimi or, or he left, um, they just said, reboot time. Andrew Garfield, Mark Webb. <laughs> They just had that in four months' time. Mm. They, they had to know. They had to do like have backup plans for more to milk the franchise more if that didn't pan out of Sam Raimi. Um, so I think that's just like a very telling, uh, telling like show of cards of like what they're really doing behind the scenes there. Um, and that first film, the main, the Spider Man, isn't is not terrible. I think it's actually quite like solid. I think there's a lot of you. I mean. The entire villain, Kurt Connors, had a whole family drama backstory mm-hmm. that was going to be in this arc that got completely cut out that we've never even seen yet. We've only seen one scene of him saying goodbye to his son before he goes to school one day. Um, and that's all we've ever seen of his family in a deleted scene. Um, otherwise than that, we were, there's like apparently like a good half an hour of that movie of just Kurt Connors' life and Peter Parker development that we haven't got because they wanted to set up a universe and get a lot of plot the way just to get to the final action sequence and all that sort of again student interference but when it comes really to a head is the main Spider-Man 2 where it just went every problem just oh it got so much worse because <laughs> um, <laughs> they just said let's design from the ground up a movie that's built to make a franchise um, so there's I'm going to say it's Gwen Stacy there's Electro there's Green Goblin, there's Peter Parker's arc about his history with his parents, there's his parents himself that have their own little story going on, and then there's all these little other things as well that go on. They've got a black cat set up there as well. Um, there's a, there's um, the backpack room with all backpack um, supervillain <laughs> technology. 
Um, they got all these things to put into one two-hour movie, and it is impossible to do, especially when the 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 director of that movie wanted to get a movie about Peter Parker, and that's it, and his Gwen Stacy like relationship. So you can definitely feel when you watch that film that the director and writers care more about the Gwen Stacy Peter Peter relationship than they do anything else, um, and the rest feels feels artificial, like really artificial. It feels like Oh, villain time and villain this and evil now the go so six. So you don't we'll do it at some point. Um, and again, to to separate themselves from Sam Raimi movies, they said let's promote it as an untold story. And that idea was going to be based around Peter Parker's parents. Now, number one for me, I don't really care about Peter Parker's parents. I never have. Um, them being a spy, or like part of Shield, whatever, has always like taken away from the everyday aspect to me, and I don't really care about it. Um, and they tried to make that the like the linchpin for that entire two movie thing that was going on, and it doesn't work. <laughs> and I don't think by the time we get to the second movie that even Mark Webb cares, because like <laughs> the point where I mean I'm going to go through one scene, and if you don't think this is the clearly just telling you that the people that are making it don't really want to make this part of the film, and they care much more about the character than this bullshit excuse to have a franchise reboot. Which, by the way, if you just make a great film about the characters, people will come back and people will oh, love yeah. your film. You don't have to make it new and cool because they've got a, they're chasing the trend of the Dark Knight of making a, a dark movie about where the character's got a dark past. Um, so there's a scene in the Minutes Final 2 where after <laughs> after a hard day's work or whatever, he throws a calculator from his dad's briefcase into a wall. And this calculator opens up to reveal a lot of coins. <laughs> and then from this Peter Parker looks at the coins and goes, <gasps> and realizes that his dad had a subway station that he owned. No idea how. Um, <laughs> such a leap. Yeah, such a leap. And then he Googles train stations New York <laughs> and then goes to an underground train station somewhere and then enters a, a coin into a broken little like coin um, thing he put the coins into. I don't know what you call them. Um, and nothing happens. And all of a sudden, a, a train from the underground, like the under the ground opens up and a train comes out. And then it's revealed that um Peter Parker's father, Richard Parker, had like a secret scientific discovery sort of thing and he's keeping it from Osborne's and this whole dark backstory he's got. And on top of that, just in case you were wondering if um Marvel not Marvel, uh, Sony understood Spider Man and how he's the everyday character and he's gonna be relatable and everyone has he has similar problems everyone has in real life, they say to the audience only Peter Parker could be Spider-Man because his blood is in the in the mutated spiders, meaning that it's only him. It's like destiny that he's going to be Spider-Man, which is to me a disservice to that entire character, and especially when you look back towards um, into Spider-Verse, which the whole message is anyone can wear the mask. Um, being doing a good thing is simply just wearing a mask, and anyone could be this this level of hero in their real life. Um, and having the idea that. No, your blood is what makes you important, Peter Parker, because you're special. Um, the exact opposite, and it's such it's such a disservice to that character, and especially Andrew Garfield, who deserves much better. He is great in those movies, and he deserves way better than, than those scripts. And Mark Webb as well deserves much better than what they made him do. Um, and Sony, yeah, now they're doing the Venom movie and Morbius and Sinister Six, and I don't, I don't know. You're all the same mistakes. Yeah. Oh God. God. Never. Oh. <laughs> I really hate it. I really do. Yeah. It's just. 
uh, yeah, it's just the most obvious example of studio just wanting to chase a trend. And the trend, yeah, yeah the trend when the first Spider-Man, main Spider-Man came out was um, um, the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises of like a dark, serious tone. So they're trying to follow that. In the second movie, that tone completely won A's and we have a fun, uh, lighthearted tone that's all about connecting the universe. Because at that point, the MCU is now the most popular thing. So it's just chasing a trend instead of making yourself your own thing. Just making a good movie to begin with. Um, and it's sad that that happened. Hurry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a lot yeah. to say about that subject. I go on for a while. <laughs> two, two Spider-Man franchises killed. Yeah, in like one stone, the same problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, please don't ruin them, Steve, Sony. Please. Honestly, they might. <laughs> Sadly, they might. Well, we yeah. got Spider-Verse. We did. Spider-Man PS4. Oh. God. Oh. Yeah. I think... Shall we Shall we end it with that? <laughs> I, feel, I feel sad to end it with that. Sort of <laughs> Sorry? Oh, God. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> so, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've, done, we've done quite a good session there. Yeah. Uh, shall I uh, shall I sign us off? Yeah, yeah, So thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Marvelous Cinema Podcast. I am your co-host Matthew. Um I'm your local host, Henry. <laughs> uh like I said at the beginning, we have our Instagram account. We're doing mm-hmm. MCU reviews. Yeah. Franchise that as of yet has had no killers in it. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, no killers. <laughs> um yep, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at the Marvelous Cinema Podcast and on Twitter at uh, Cinema Marvelous. Yeah, check that Cinema Marvelous. Yeah. Uh huh. I'll, if I remember, I'll leave something in the description. <laughs> I might not. So <laughs> you never know. There's a bit of mystery for you. You can always oh, just yeah. click down and check. Yeah. If you have enjoyed, follow us on uh, whatever streaming platform you are using at the moment it's Spotify, SoundCloud, or iTunes. Yeah. Also, iTunes, you can leave a review. Oh, much appreciated if you did. Yeah. Although if you're going to tell us we're shit, please don't. Yeah, just leave it alone. <laughs> morale, uh, that'll give morale a serious hit. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank yeah, you for yeah. listening. Uh, sorry about the depressing ending there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, dead Spider-Man. Dead, two dead Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> goodbye. Yes, <laughs> thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.